Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our TCOYD podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Edelman, and the usual host that usually is my co-host is Dr. Jeremy Pettis, but we have a different Dr. E here. It's Dr. Pritika Ekanayaka, and she is a endocrinologist. She trained at UCSD, now is on faculty, and one of her areas of interest and what she's published on is intermittent fasting and we've had a lot of guests over the years talk about different diets and i have my theories about those as well but today we're going to talk about intermittent fasting so let's welcome pritika thanks thanks uh, for inviting me i appreciate it so pritika also uh, wrote an article in our tcyd newsletter she gave uh, endocrine grand rounds which is uh, kind of a huge presentation to everyone on faculty on this so i think the first question is how is intermittent fasting different than what we typically think of as just re- reducing your caloric intake? Yeah, so there's um, a difference between kind of continuous calorie restriction and intermittent fasting. So I'll, I'll address the calorie restriction and how, how one would go about doing that. And that's usually kind of what it sounds like. Um, you take a typical American diet that's about 2,000 to 2,500 calories per day and reduce it by maybe 15 to 75%. It's pretty variable depending on the person and what they're comfortable doing. And calorie re- reduction is without malnutrition or losing necessary um, vitamins and minerals, obviously. But Pritika, wouldn't you just say that most people are not successful with that attempt over the long term, which is why someone is always dieting? Exactly. Yeah, and and you got it. Uh, but with intermittent fasting, what's I don't actually consider it as a diet. Um, calorie reduction could be considered as going on a diet, and I I totally agree with you. I think it's very difficult to maintain over a long period of time, and in fact, most of the studies done about uh, you know regarding calorie restriction have have shown patients have a really hard time or people in general have a hard time maintaining the lost weight because often they go back right back into gaining weight from kind of incessant hunger um, whereas intermittent fasting to me it's kind of like a lifestyle choice um, we were talking a little bit before the podcast started about this that you know with intermittent fasting you basically consolidate uh, the time you eat into a shorter number of um, hours. So you'll be eating for about seven to eight hours maybe and fasting for 16 hours. Yeah, you know, I mean, what you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking that for reduced caloric diets, you know, you're always depriving yourself of something that you normally would like to do. With intermittent fasting, there's no rules on what you can eat, but you're just reducing the time of the day uh, of of consuming calories and it has it been shown that people on uh, intermittent fasting diets eat less total calories I know you're going to talk about how intermittent fasting works and it's it's there are more scientific ways than you might imagine but do people eat less calories when you restrict the time yeah you can um you don't have to but you you certainly can because of that you know shifting the time where you eat or when you eat uh, to seven to eight hours, you essentially might not eat like three big meals um, like you would do if you were eating kind of continuously for 12 hours. Um, so you you can inadvertently lower the amount of calories you take in, but it's not planned and you technically don't have to think about 
uh, calorie counting. Now, what I'm interested in that I read in your article, which is excellent, by the way, is uh, you have fast you have to fast long enough whatever regimen you're on, we're going to talk about those, to develop ketones. Mm-hmm. Now, to some with diabetes, you know, you hear ketones, ketoacidosis, that's all bad. Maybe you can help explain that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think we'll get into like, you know, how we would instruct our patients, for an example, with type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes or those on yeah, the we'll SGLT2 inhibitors um, going on this type of a diet. Um, but basically... Um, just to kind of backtrack a little bit, all of us fast when we're sleeping anyway, at least seven to eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe not, maybe not all of us, most of us. Um, so we, we tend to fast during the time we're sleeping, unless we're sleepwalking and eating or something, which is rare. Um, and normally that's about eight hours. But what I'm talking about with intermittent fasting is if you extend that longer, what happens is this metabolic switch. Um, Our bodies go through using predominantly glucose as the preferred fuel to ketones. So ketones results from us initially breaking down the glucoses and then the stored glucoses from the liver after several more hours. And then finally, when we run out of all that glucose and stored glucose, we end up breaking down fats, which eventually become ketones. And that process take about, you know, anywhere from 12 to some say 36 hours, but that's all depends on the last meal you ate, how big that was. Yeah. And as I understand it, um, starvation ketones, let's call it fasting ketones, are quite different than the ketones uh, someone with type 1 diabetes may get if they stop their insulin or their insulin tube comes out. That's a different type of ketones and, of course, more dangerous. Yeah, so starvation ketones can still be the beta-hydroxybutyrate, like, you know, the the ketones we're familiar with with the type 1, but it doesn't reach to that very dangerous levels. It could if there are other kind of precipitating factors, like someone's also reducing their insulin or they're sick or they might be on an SGLT2 inhibitor that also promote ketones. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people who are just not diabetic. Um, They go out and purchase either ketone meters or strips. Uh, Maybe the people starting an Atkins diet, super Mm -hmm. low carbs and they want to see that they're producing ketones. And those those typically are not dangerous. So, yeah, you have to fast a certain amount of time. And so you say 10 hours, 12 hours minimum. So we're going to talk about the different regimens. But what are some other benefits uh, that you have dug up of intermittent fasting over other diets? Yeah. So, you know, when you compare calorie reduction and intermittent fasting, There's not much of a difference. It's just with calorie reduction, like we talked about, it's really difficult to maintain over time. So both of those things, uh, intermittent fasting and calorie reduction, lead to better insulin sensitivity, better metabolic parameters, weight loss, um, improved cognition. So patients on both groups might say that, but it's just the inconvenience of being constantly on a diet with calorie reduction. Now, one thing with intermittent fasting that I find fascinating is they've done some studies um, looking at calorie reduction, or at least this, these are meta-analyses, I should say, not not research studies. Well, well, describe meta-analyses. <laughs> we, we don't have too many rocket scientists listening. So these are just studies that have been done that they've pooled um, 
small studies and someone has reviewed all those studies and obtained results. Try to get summary results. Exactly. So what they've seen um, comparing the continuous uh, calorie reduction to intermittent fasting is our hunger hormone called ghrelin tend to go up quite a bit when we do calorie reduction. Um, Whereas with intermittent fasting, ghrelin or this hunger hormone might be lower and might even be normal. And that's important because that might be the reason this persistent feeling of hunger that we have, our brains have with calorie reduction that eventually prevent people from being very successful with persistent calorie reduction compared yeah. to intermittent fasting. Yeah, you and I both know the the late uh, Dr. Henry talked about gruelin all the time as he specialized in obesity. And I noticed that um, with the cal- caloric restriction, uh, you know, being hungry may affect your mood and may do other negative things, may lead to divorce, you know. Yeah. I know that's, that's pretty serious. But, uh, and, uh, and so you don't get that too much with intermittent fasting, but I think you spoke about a little bit that you do have to go through a period of hunger and that may go away with time. Uh, yes. Um, at least the, the type of intermittent fasting I've done is the time-restricted fasting. Um, now, I know people who've done more alternate day fasting or alternate day modified pa- fasting. Um, and it's the same. As your body get adjusted to the fast period, you get it's easier to deal with. Um, for me, I think the first couple of weeks was really tough on the time-restricted fasting because I was constantly hangry. Um, and it probably that's, that's led... That's a cool word. Yeah, it probably <laughs> led to almost, almost... Um, I think that's when you were acting up at work. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> no, no Pritika, let's... Well, let's... There's a lot of listeners that are very interested in intermittent fasting. And as I am too, and I, I've been doing it myself. So if let's let's go through the different types that you outlined uh, in your paper. But I think restri- you called it restricted time intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... We'll start off with what you did, and then what is the, you know, what classifies as as a time restricted fast? Right. So the intermittent fasting is a big umbrella. So underneath that, mm-hmm. you have multiple, you know, permutations you could do. Um, what I found was more simple was doing the time restricted fasting. So I would eat, for an example, from eleven or noon until six or seven. That that. Continu- finish continuously fin- uh, no uh, <laughs> within <laughs> you, that window you consume all of your calories in that time <laughs> within period. that window yeah. yes and then i would fast after that so from you know 6 or 7 until the next day uh, noon so you you would have uh, i guess i would call that a slightly early dinner not too early and then you you eat nothing uh, after that until a late morning lunchtime right yeah and um, is, is this something that you you kind of did unknowingly as you were growing up in college, making it easier for you to stick to that because I'll just throw well you answer that first and I'll yeah, tell you what I do. Sure. No. Um I you know, my mom used to force feed me breakfast. So that was not me. Um and breakfast was always like important meal of the day. I was told that too. So definitely not. Uh so it was hard for me to skip breakfast. Um but after a week or two I ended up just not wanting breakfast after doing this. So um, so I think 
I think it depends. Um, you don't necessarily have to do what I did. I think people could sure. just skip, skip, for an example, dinner or move the dinner earlier to like five or four because that tend to, at least studies have shown, finishing your meals earlier in the day tend to improve your metabolic parameters even better. Improve your sleep. Yes, and improve your sleep. Yeah, you know what I think, what, what, I've, what I've learned through the years, and I am definitely not an expert, is that people have to find the right, uh, for lack of a better word, diet uh, that fits their lifestyle. And sometimes it's, you know, the Mediterranean, it's sometimes yep. this, sometimes it's intermittent fasting or a combination. See, for me, I've never been a breakfast person. Now, on the weekends, I like having a typical American breakfast, but later on. But during the weekday, I get up early. I do have a cup of coffee with milk, and then I may not eat anything till one or two o'clock. And so if I really think about eating, I eat dinner like seven, eight o'clock. So if I, if I skip the coffee part, 8 p.m. all the way till noon or one or two o'clock the next day, that's, that's basically 18 hours. Yeah. And I would say if you can have your coffee, maybe without the milk, that, that will be the fasting. That would be, that would be the <laughs> ideal. Yeah. yeah. I would it, be very cranky without my coffee in the morning. Yeah. So I still have my coffee, but that's not caloric. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, for me, it was easy to do because I just don't like eating breakfast when I get up super early. And um, I think for anybody listening, they should find the best time of day that they could tolerate fasting at least 12 hours. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree. And, and we're talking about times that might sound a little intimidating for some people. For an example, like restricting your eating times to seven to eight hours a day might not be feasible for some people. But there have been studies done at UCSD, for an example, mm -hmm. looking at you know, men who are overweight with prediabetes, for an example, or metabolic syndrome, um, excuse me, um, and they just restricted their feeding times to 10 hours a day. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, small studies, obviously, these you know, diet studies. Um, so when they looked at patients with metabolic syndrome, um, but kind of consolidating their eating window to 10 hours and then the rest of the time, so doing like a 14-hour fast. Um, metabolic parameters, waist circumference went down, insulin sensitivity improved, um, cholesterol got better, blood pressure, blood pressure got better. Got better. Um, so you, you don't have to necessarily restrict yourself to seven to eight hours either to yeah. get the benefits. Yeah, in metabolic syndrome, I think most of you folks know about it from our lectures on, on our website, but it's it's a culmination of cardiovascular risk factors that are associated with people type 2 diabetes. And these folks were just, they didn't have diabetes yet, but they had the central adiposity, the high blood pressure, the abnormal cholesterol. And I bet you if any of them had either subclinical or real sleep apnea, that had to get better too. So, I mean, to me, it makes it makes perfect sense. But what are some of the other types of intermittent fasting that you outline? Because I think, you know, those give people options of what to do, different days and things like that. Right. So, you know, if you want to try something besides that time-restricted fasting. There's also alternate day fasting, which I, I would find for myself personally to be difficult. So that's when you eat normally one day, and then another day, the next day, you eat you fast the whole day. And I just can't imagine doing that. You're not that. eating anything all yes. day? It, like, like you said, it's an individual <laughs> thing. It is. And some people can tolerate it. I could not. Uh, so I, I, 
I didn't even want to try that. Um, so that's one that's called alternate day fasting. And then there's another one that's a modification of that called alternate day modification, fa modified fast. Um, and that's where you would eat normal one day. The next day you would eat 700 calories, something very stringent. Just a very low calorie diet. Very low calorie diet, extremely low cal calorie diet. And then the following day you go back to normal and so on. See, but you know, that, that type of intermittent fasting reminds me of caloric restricted mm -hmm. because you are doing severe caloric restriction during that period and then you still have all the issues of reducing your calories. But um, the, I think the bottom line is different strokes for different folks. Yeah. And what about, um, you know, periodic fasting? Is that, did you cover that? Yeah, I, um, that one I didn't delve too much into and I couldn't find a whole lot of studies on it, but it's basically in a given week, you fast one or two day and then the rest of the time eat normally. Yeah. Now, when, when you tried, uh, when you went on the intermittent fasting yourself, did it work? What were some of your experiences yeah. and your appetite too? Yeah, and maybe I should kind of let you know why I did that. I, was, I, was there a drum roll there, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we had to wear um, CGMs during, as fellows to yeah. learn and, yeah. um, and, and to kind of get some education from our own insulin sensitivity or resistance. Um, and I have a whole long history of family members with type 2 diabetes and early cardiac death. So when I was wearing my CGM, uh, I think it was a Libre or a Dexcom or maybe both, um, I saw a lot of insulin resistance, even though I don't have yet uh, pre-diabetes or di type 2 diabetes. So that was my inspiration to try to try to do this. I see. Yeah. I see. Um, but really, the other reason I wanted to do this was uh, because of the the non-metabolic benefits that I saw in literature, like improved cognition, for an example. So after the first I would say two weeks where I was hangry. Um, I, uh, I, my body just accommodated and just had no desire for breakfast. And I just felt more like focused at work. Mm -hmm. And I even noticed that now when I have a period where I kind of fall off the wagon and don't do sure. intermittent fasting, but go back into it. During the intermittent fasting weeks, I feel a lot more focused at work. And that's like the one thing that I can like notice. And I don't know if that's because my brain just want to shift my attention from hunger to, you know, my work. Yeah. Um, but it feels just my attention span and focus is a lot improved. I yeah. don't know if, if you tried it and felt something similar. Yeah, I did. I did. You know, you know, there's there's a thing about, um, you know, I don't like I said, I, I'm not a breakfast person, but um I felt the same thing. I just, one less thing to either be considered about, concerned about. Mm -hmm. Now, when I do eat my first meal, I'm starving, uh, but I have, I don't have the hunger. You know, I'm working like crazy like you do. Um, and I have, I try to just pick a regular size lunch and I might snack a little bit in the afternoon and then I have dinner and then I'm done after dinner. Yeah. And I rarely snack after dinner these days. And I would say that I do, I snack less after dinner than I ever did before I started intermittent fasting. So I don't know if that's ever been shown, but you know, I'm satisfied after that time period. Yeah, I think people actually have just lower appetite. And I've noticed that in myself, I I tend to stress eat a little less because 
my stomach just feel full. Yeah. You know, you, 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 <laughs> you go to a buffet at the hospital, like some nurses having a, a baby and they have a buffet. I mean, <laughs> my willpower, terrible <laughs> on those. Everything I, I talk about goes out the window. Well, let's talk about the side effects. I mean, I, I couldn't think of any side effects, but I know you mentioned a little bit about if you get too many ketones and if you have diabetes. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and, and I would actually love to hear, I'll talk about some of it, but I would love to hear your perspective of how you managed. I know you're supposed to ask me questions, but um, how you managed... No, you, you can ask me anything you want, <laughs> seriously. How you manage your type 1 with, while doing intermittent fasting. But I think the main thing I tell my patients, so when I, when I see my type 2s and type 1 patients in clinic, um, uh, is if they're interested in trying intermittent fasting. Um, obviously, for the type 2s, I don't worry as much. Um, mm-hmm. But if they're on a SGLT2 inhibitor, um, I do let them know that, you know, if they have any signs or symptoms of ketoacidosis um, with the SGLT2 inhibitor class plus the fasting, they have to tell me right away and to not overly reduce their insulin too much unless they're actually going low during that period where they're fasting. Yeah, you know, just for the listeners, the SGLT2 inhibitors are what you probably know as Jardiance and Farziga and Invokana. And that group of medications has been shown to cause uh, ketoacidosis in people, primarily with type 1 diabetes, and primarily in people with type 1 with poor control. For me, uh, Pritika, uh, I did lose uh, about five pounds, and so I, I became a little more insulin sensitive. Mm-hmm. So I did reduce my basal rate, and on my hybrid closed-loop insulin pump, I did uh, change the insulin sensitivity factor to tell my pump that I'm more sensitive to insulin before. But, you know, I, I feel pretty confident that I'm not worried about ketones. And I actually am on uh, Farziga for, for, to prevent progression of my chronic kidney disease. And so I keep an eye out for that. But, you know, the symptoms of DKA are pretty obvious if you know what to look for, which is just feeling horrible. Right. <laughs> and sometimes your blood sugar may not be that elevated, but I don't want to get too far off topic. But other than that, I think you're right. For type 2s, it's really not an issue whether mm-hmm. they're on one of these SGLT2 inhibitors or not. I do like it the most, to be honest, because people just don't have to restrict the foods that they grew up with, their ethnic and personal preferences. You know, so, you know, with type 1 diabetes, it's just be a little bit cautious, especially if your control is no good and you you reduce your insulin too much. And type 2, is it's the rare type 2 yeah. that can have issues. Right. And I think, you know, the age we're living in with the automated uh, closed-loop pumps makes it a lot easier, too, um, because... For an example, in the control like you and Omnipod, there's changes to the basal rate that automatically happen with the better insulin sensitivity. But I do counsel my patients, just like what you did with your pump, to change their insulin sensitivity factor um, a little bit uh, higher if if they're having issues with lows when they're doing intermittent fasting. Yeah, you know, and what kind of advice would you give any listeners that say to you, um, and I'm thinking of my my girlfriend, Jamie, who... If she doesn't eat something in the morning, she's, and she doesn't eat a lot, but she's got to eat something. Uh, otherwise, she's a wreck. <laughs> and if she eats too little, she'll be really hungry a short time later. So, um, you know, people who may not eat that much, but they feel like if they go too long, they, ne- they need to eat something. Yeah, I think, like you said earlier, um, and I, I totally agree, it doesn't have to be morning. It could be, you know, have your breakfast, have your lunch, 
if you can move the dinner a little earlier, and a little earlier is if you used to, you know, eat at seven o'clock, move it to, I usually say six o'clock, and then see if you can move it a little bit earlier than that. Um, I think it's about ultimately like realistic goals, especially for our like type two diabetes patients who are struggling with weight issues. Um, so when I have patients who are eating like at nine or 10, and they're you know, circadian rhythm is completely out of whack because they're eating so late um, and it leads to poor sleep and uh, more fatigue and worsened metabolic parameters. I kind of try to come up with, okay, what would be a better time for you to eat that's not nine? Better time a little earlier. And they might say, well, it might be eight. I could do eight. Eight is fine. <laughs> so we come up with some sort of a compromise to see, would that help? Um, their insulin sensitivity. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you, you know, I'm just thinking out loud that you know, you, someone has dinner between six and seven. Then, if they can, if they can fast for the next twelve hours, you know, uh, you get up. That's that's a twelve hour yeah, fast, right? So, and then, and then, if they add on top of that, I'm sure it's hard to do these studies while people do two different type of diets. Mediterranean or low carb, but if you did something else that maybe exchanged some of the things that really are caloric dense foods during the period that you are eating, then that's just going to help with more weight loss. Yeah, they have done things with intermittent fasting and keto diet, and they've saw, shown like very good results in the same metabolic parameters. So yeah. it's it's pretty impressive. That's awesome. Well, you know, it's it's been. 10 hours and one minute since my last <laughs> meal. So um, I wanted to sincerely thank you for coming on uh, and doing our podcast today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And for all our listeners, please check out uh, Pritika's article on our newsletter, which has everything we talked about and a little bit more. And we're going to be also doing a little video on this. And you may see that before you even hear the podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>